From Alaska Teen Media Institute, this is Podcast in Place, Youth Stories from Quarantine, a series about youth in Alaska during the COVID-19 pandemic. We're bringing you stories, interviews, and audio diaries from teenagers and young adults stuck indoors without anything else to do. I'm Atme producer Rowan Pickard, recording this on my computer in my humble abode since the main Atme studio is closed for the time being. Today we're going to hear from Michael Martinez. Born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska, Michael is Yupik and Otomi and is pursuing a degree in biological sciences at UAA. He is involved in biotechnology development research and is currently working in the Advanced Instrumentation for Microbiome Studies facility to manufacture COVID-19 tests for the state of Alaska. APME producer Ryan Danigal spoke with Michael to talk about the work that he is doing. This interview was recorded remotely on July 21st, 2020. describe the research that you do and what a typical work day is like? Most of my research involves developing biotechnology here inside a laboratory. So with that, you have different applications where you can do biotechnology. I'm sure people think about, oh, maybe using that in medicine or, oh, maybe using that to um, build or remediate stuff such as from mines or from uh, coastal spills like for oil. But in my particular case, it's with uh, my professor. So that's with Dr. Brandon Briggs here. And this is looking at trying to find ways to better biomine coal. And um, with this coal, um, the main target is going to be rare earth elements. And if you're not familiar with rare earth elements, rare earth elements are used in um, some, some pretty critical industries such as healthcare, so making big machines such as a CT scans. They are using military applications, so all of the new technology, all the new gadgets for location finding, new weaponry and such. And also they're using a lot of renewable technologies, so all the Tesla cars, all the new hybrid vehicles, and um, new technology that, that we're seeing today, such as like in wind turbines. But um, I'm pretty sure you're trying to get at the, at the new COVID stuff for the COVID-19 pandemic that we're all facing right now. And pretty much that's um, on a helping and support basis. We are actually um, working in the Ames facility at UAA. So that stands for Advanced Instrumentation for Microbiome Studies. And that's um, brought on by a couple grants here um, that are that were given to UAA and UAF to start helping with the VTM, and what the VTM is is the viral transport media. So with this media, um, this is actually used with the swabs that people are getting uh, tested by at these different locations, and even at the airport, um, from what I hear from the news. So right when you get that swab, when that swab is done on a person that swab needs to be put into a certain container. And that first container is put, is, um, contains that media. At the very bottom is that liquid stuff. So solution, media, liquid, those three things. But pretty much it helps keep that virus 
uh, intact so that later on it's able to go downstream and actually get analyzed in a laboratory. So that's what we're doing right now at UAA. Oh, wow. That's, that's interesting. Uh, when you first learned about COVID-19, were you expecting it to get as big as it has? Oh, <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure when everyone first heard about it, it, it probably came from the news. I think I was actually in Mexico on, on vacation in December. Um, I was out with my family and then we also went to Seattle. But I, yeah, to be honest, um, we, we, we saw some news articles like talking about how China was dealing with it and then looking at how other countries uh, that were nearby, they were, they were taking uh, precautions for people traveling. And then for me, because I'm able to, uh, I, I kind of think about how things are able to move around. For me, uh, I was thinking about maybe all the air travel, I think that might spread out further, especially due to um, one person is able to get from China to somewhere else and probably eight hours or so, eight to 12 hours, able to travel a, a pretty far distance. But at first, I, I did not think it would come over here, here in the United States, at least. I was thinking, um, similar to Ebola, you, you see uh, a couple patients or people who are getting uh, tested positive for those uh, type of viruses, they mostly stay in that region or in that area. But uh, yeah, it was quite a surprise. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm telling you, it was quite a surprise to see that it came over here, took over uh, some of the Western uh, countries, such as France and Italy, and then it's like, uh-oh, it's coming. Given that you're only 20 years old, what past experience have helped you to get in this position? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think that that's the question a, lo a lot of people have asked me, whether it be um, if they're a couple years older or if they're one of the professionals that I, I meet in a conference or in a, um, or in a closed meeting, or even some mentees have asked me that and they have um, uh, asked me to be th their mentor or um, see if I can answer some of their questions or try and guide them in a different path, whether it be uh, if they're here in town or in the lower 48. So for me, I think for any educational or looking around how to do, how to do well or get to an area, for me, I'll talk specifically about science it, it all starts at a young age, you know, being in those environments such as science fairs, asking people what do they do, and being able to ask questions and being able to keep going even though um, you might fail at something. So building that kind of um, endurance to ask questions, see what happens. If it doesn't happen in your favor, what can you do to change it or maybe alter it so that you understand it better? And then being able to ask that to, um, for example, teachers, teachers who have their degrees in science areas, um, I think they were particularly uh, helpful, especially for me in elementary. I went to Northern Lights ABC, that was um, also here in town. We, so we were kind of um, forced to also, <laughs> it was part of our grade sometimes to also, to also do the science fair. I'm not sure if that's the case now, but. Um, I think it's a very good idea to keep students doing that. And then into high school, I also went to um, service high school. It was a local here and I went through the Biomedical Career Academy. I highly recommend students to apply to that and try and get um, experience there, especially 
during these times if they want to understand or go into the medical field. So with there, I got some hands-on experience. I got to learn about different areas of health, whether it be oncology, so cancer-related um, issues, and different things with working with uh, research reports, writing, how, how to read those type of writing, what to look for, and just the basic lab skills, how to pipette something, how to stay clean, how to wear your PPE. Some people know that nowadays, especially due to all the um, news here, so your personal protective equipment, whether it be goggles, gloves, um, lab coats, hair cover, foot cover, and such. But yeah, all those initial experiences were able to help me um, kind of gain traction into trying to make an impact in my local community or, or, or even state also. So that's been my goal to see what I can do in the classroom or what can I do with what I learn and how do I give back in a way. And for the high school part, I entered into this competition. And this is what I mean by students or anyone any age should apply to something that they think that they can do. If you think you can do it, you should probably do it. Um, for this application, it was for the Emperor Science Award program. Uh, it was uh, in partnership with Novartis, Genentech. So these are pharmaceutical uh, companies, pretty big ones and also Stand Up to Cancer, a program to help uh, with uh, cancer patients and funding. So I entered into the writing portion, and that's pretty much seeing how scientists and students can collaborate to make a better healthcare future for the, for, um, um, in the coming years. So pretty much my idea kind of revolved around teamwork and communication. How do you build great teams and how do you keep good ideas bouncing back and forth? Because on the negative side you hear, um, or, or even if you bring it back to past experiences where each of us probably have had bad experiences with um, teammates or being put in an environment where you're trying to get your idea across, but your idea is not heard, it's ignored, or it's shut down or laughed at completely. So how do you get to um, keep going and develop your team if that communication barrier is um, put up? So pretty much getting scientists and also doctors and other areas of the medical field to talk about what's happening and also the patient feedback. I think that um, highlighted my program there, but I was able to do that. And my main experience was, was with uh, Dr. Martinson, also here at UAA, working with oncology and patient information. So that I think brought me to be a, a pretty good candidate for applying to some research positions here at UAA. And um, funny enough, um, so coming from a biomedical and a oncology background with a research and looking at different areas with human cells and, bi and biomedical applications, um, it was funny to kind of get the introduction to work with uh, Dr. Briggs primarily, working with uh, coal. So looking at geochemistry applications and biotechnology aspects. So when I first got that paper or to, to, like, to do a meeting, I, I was kind of hesitant at first. I was like, mm, do I really want to do this? Do I, do I think this actually interests me? But after meeting him and after looking, at, looking into what we're doing and the potential benefits in the future, uh, I was uh, starting to realize, I was like, oh, wow, this actually seems like a pretty good project. And um, I'll see how it goes. And uh, 
I've been with um, Dr. Briggs Lab since 2018, and it's now 2020, helping out with uh, COVID also. So I think overall, it's been a pretty good, good experience. <laughs> so speaking of your workplace, are there any risks that you've like seen of like catching COVID? Are there any like health risks? Go ahead. Are y'all keeping it pretty good? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great question, especially. Um, uh, currently, speaking about facilities and people gathering in places, you see, um, you either see a lot of cleaning precautions being taken, people having their te- their, their temperatures uh, checked, masks being worn, either that or you see in the local area people gathering, um, congregating or going out in sporting events and such or going into stores without any masks. <laughs> but um yeah, with uh, going in any group environment or any building, even the your local grocery store, I think I, there's a risk there um, for transmission. But here at the lab, we're um, we're taking into precaution with a survey before we go in, so we're able to check our temperature. Are we feeling okay? Do we feel off in any way? If so, or did we encounter anyone? who may have been sick or may have been from out of state and did not follow their quarantine? Did we, did we possibly not um, wash our hands properly or anything before entering? So we kind of check out all of these uh, certain criteria before we go in and also report back to our main PI, which is also Dr. Briggs. And upon an okay, we, we enter. And then upon entering, of course, we have our masks and we're able to go into the lab where we keep pretty much everything pretty clean, washing our hands pretty often, wearing gloves and also additional masks also. And we also work under the hood. So with the ventilation hood, you're able to get that ventilation, especially trying to keep um, samples clean, considering the the VTM media used used for the COVID-19 tests. And upon keeping these clean, you're also able to keep keep um, a pretty clean environment, especially with um, cleaning down things, wiping down things, wiping down handles, countertops at the beginning of every day, in the middle, and also at the end. So I, I, I think we do a pretty good job keeping clean, especially um, we've all been in lab environments prior and uh, have been doing this for two or more years, so we kind of know what we're doing. And we, we try to maintain that six feet um, social distancing or working in separate rooms or different parts of the lab. So um, we don't really need to encounter people that much. So I, I think we do a pretty good job. And do you take any like extra steps like at home or maybe even at work that like, just to make sure that you don't catch it either outside or at work? Yeah, so for me personally, I think that's a personal question and a preference. It's probably different for everyone, whether if they have um, a good understanding of the medical literature and applications versus those who are not very um, experienced in the area. But um, yeah, for me personally, like when having lunch, I'll go back out to my car. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll actually eat my vehicle. I'll um, use hand sanitizer. I've also um, purchase hand sanitizer. I think some store. I think some stores have them still, or are putting them out slowly, such as uh, Cars or Fred Meyer, maybe. Yeah. So if you can get one of those, possibly do that, or 
go back home. And then at home, in the home situation, I'll actually enter through a window at at my um, residence here. So instead of taking the front door where everyone else uses, if, if they don't go out to the store, if they just go out to an outdoor activity or on a hike or um, walking around the neighborhood, I'll, I'll actually use a different door so that I'm able to keep all of my stuff in the lab. I'll take off my my coat or my shirt that I've been using at the lab, I'll wash my hands in a separate bathroom. I'll take off my shoes also. And um, yeah, so pretty much just using a separate entrance. And then, then with food and groceries, um, I think some of the doctors, some of the national doctors that are putting video, that have put videos on YouTube initially and work with the CDC, um, I, I still follow their recommendations and their guidelines that they've put on um, as for cleaning down and wiping down your, um, your groceries upon receiving them and uh, trying to keep an overall clean space because we just don't know enough about this virus and even a lot of the medical professionals don't know and um, it seems like new information is being found every day um, and they're slowly updating their guidelines their CDC guidelines and talking about what other actions are to be made so yeah so that's what I do personally. Uh, there seems to be a lot of misleading or incorrect information about the virus out there are there any big mix misconceptions that you see that you know are not true? And how do you think people can get the best information from it? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I, I think especially for those listeners um, uh, who are listening to this, they're probably looking at um, the different articles about people um, having conflict in stores, not wanting to agree to wearing masks or people marching about not wanting to wear them or I think in some states they're having local attorneys fight for um, certain views and measures to be taken to have an open rule about that. And um, yeah, that's a good question. As for different misconceptions, I think one that I can probably talk about is probably, um, there's also views on Twitter also from MDs and PhDs and other people who work as nurses and EMTs in the health profession, but um, yeah, looking at how people are talking about that wearing masks or wearing face coverings is limiting your oxygen levels. I think that's a pretty funny one um, because if you think about it, you're still able to breathe with a mask. Um, it's not closed ventilated. Otherwise, if you put the mask on, you're going to suffocate yourself, but that's not the case here. But um, I think a couple of doctors have even put up YouTube videos or videos on Twitter um, where they completely cover their mask in like a full gown also and maybe put on extra masks and then also an O2 monitor on their finger and you don't see a shift at, at all in oxygen levels. So I think that's a pretty funny one <laughs> in my case. But um, as for different misconceptions or where to get the best information, I think it's also down to just keeping up updated with uh, reading, being being in the know with current events. I think I think that's especially um, important now during these times. Um, so looking at the CDC also, so looking at that and um, looking at your local municipality rules, seeing what they're following. But yeah, j just try and um, relate back to the health professionals here. 
they've spent years getting their four-year degree. A lot of them have also gotten their master's, even PhDs. And um, they've taken a lot of years to get where they're, where, where they're at. And um, it's not easy and it's definitely not uh, a short road. But they've spent countless, countless, um, countless years here putting information to try and best help the public. And I think that's where um, we have a little bit of a break here between the general public, um, some of the political areas, and then also back to the health professionals who are trying to, who are just trying to keep people safe and trying to do their job. So yeah, so just go back to the CDC, look at what they have about um, cleaning or and wearing masks. And for those people who are who are going to stores or who are working at their jobs and who are getting yelled at or um, embarrassed or almost humi humiliated even in some states, um, I, th I think it's I, I think it's great to wear a mask and to worry about your own health because some people have their own diseases, some people have their own health issues and their own health conditions, or they're even um, wearing the mask and, and gloves and even face coverings to protect their loved ones. They might have a, a child at home or they might have an elderly person at home or for even their parents who are at home. So I think it's not only a personal decision, but it's also a group and family decision. Because if you're there with that task or with the option to do so, you're able to help someone else in that matter, I think it's uh, I think it's the right thing to go ahead and follow the CDC guidelines and, and, and wear that mask. Alrighty, is there anything else that you would recommend for people to stay safe? For staying safe, it's just, yeah, um, just be aware where you are going. Think about who's touching this, who's touching that. It's almost like making a routine almost. If you're able to make that routine, maybe write it down and have your other family members or friends. I know people in colleges or also uh, local areas that might be living together and such. Just being mindful of each other and um, trying to help each other in this moment. Because e even now being on your own or being on your own with your own um, thoughts or doing something by yourself without sharing that information or being collaborative, um, that might be a little hard. But yeah, just work together. Think about other people. Don't just think about yourself. And um, yeah, stay safe. All right. Well, that's all the questions I had for you, Michael. Thank you for coming on and talking to us a little bit. Thank you for having me on, Ryan. And uh, hopefully looking forward to hearing about this from ATMI. That was Michael Martinez speaking with APME producer Ryan Danigal. You've been listening to Podcast in Place, youth stories from quarantine from Alaska Teen Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Devin Schreckengost. Stay tuned for more stories from quarantined youth. You can find these stories at alaskateenmedia.org, where we have included resources for youth during quarantine as part of a partnership with the State of Alaska Division of Behavioral Health. Many thanks to supporters of our podcast, including United Way of Anchorage, the National Endowment for the Humanities, and the Rasmussen Foundation through the Arts and Education Fund administered under contract by the Alaska State Council on the Arts. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Anchorage and help keep our podcast going, 
You can donate to our organization by going to alaskateenmedia.org and clicking donate. Also on our website, you can learn more about what our organization does, listen to past episodes of our podcast, or find out how you too can get involved. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Rowan Pickard. Thanks for listening, stay safe out there, and we'll get through this together.